You're listening to the Red Wave Report, the number one rated Fresno State podcast, the official free podcast of thebarkboard.com. The thoughts and opinions are that of the show hosts and in no way reflect the thoughts and opinions of the university. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Red Wave Report. I'm Lucio Reek, being joined by the publisher of the Barkboard, Mr. Jackson Moore. Jackson, how you doing today? I'm doing well, Lucio. How are you? Oh, hanging in there. That was a quite a trip that we took to Las Vegas <laughs> for the Fresno State uh, versus Arizona State uh, well, Las Vegas Bowl. Uh, and that was, it was actually a very good game from beginning till end. Uh, it just seemed like the momentum kept shifting back and forth. Don't you think, Jackson? Yeah, you know, now that I kind of think about it, it was similar to last year's bowl game where it was kind of the Hawaii Bowl against Houston. It was pretty close, and then Fresno State just made the big plays in the fourth quarter to pull away, and this time it was Ronnie Rivers. And, you know, they got to a stretch where I didn't know if it was going to happen or not. Arizona State, they had all the momentum. Uh, Fresno State had turned the ball over three times in a row, and, uh, all of a sudden, Ronnie Rivers read up, up the middle, goes for almost 70 yards for a touchdown, and that was a totally different ball game from that point on. So, I mean, it was an exciting game. It was a fun 60-minute game. You had a big old pick six by Tank Kelly. Uh, you had Arizona State doing their thing with the running game in the first half, and uh, it was just a really you know competitive game. It came down to adjustments and big plays, and so what more can you ask for a football game? Now, talking about uh, Ronnie Rivers, I mean, going back, thinking – this was a player that was supposed to miss the season uh, due to his injury and somehow made it back onto the field uh, about four games into the season, started to kind of start taking some reps. At that point, did you realize, Jackson, that this was going to happen? You know, going all the way to uh, not only winning Boise State, the, the the championship game against Boise State, but being a factor in the Mountain West uh, in the Las Vegas Bowl Um did you think that was even a possibility at some point? <laughs> and that way back in April, I think it was when he went down with that injury. Uh, I was told they were, the diagnosis for Ronnie was that he wasn't going to play at all in 2018. And then as the summer went on, it was like, well, maybe he'll play the last four games and still redshirt with that new rule in and everything. But uh, yeah, he thought whatever he was going to be able to give this year was not going to be a whole lot. And suddenly he starts working his way in at the end of September by mid-October, he's scoring touchdowns and everything. And how important was it now, looking back with Jordan Mims out? You know, if they didn't have Ronnie Rivers, that's a whole different story in that game. Probably both of the last two games, probably because Ronnie was the man at running back. You had Dejounte O'Neal chip in. You had Josh Hokett more so in Boise, but um, you know those are guys that have contributed a lot in the past. But these last two games, it's been all about Ronnie. And uh, if they don't have him, these last two games may have gone a lot differently. And that says a lot, uh, basically, because that running back position coming into this season, we looked at it, it looked pretty deep. But for some reason, it looked like the running backs tended to struggle without Rivers. Um, and what more do you think can kind of contributed to that? I mean, why why didn't we see some of those other running backs, like Romelo Harris, for, for instance? Why weren't they more of a part of the mix? Yeah, you know, almost thinking back at it, you wonder if they had Ronnie in Minnesota, maybe that game goes differently. That was a game the offense wasn't quite clicking for a good three quarters or so before they finally kicked it into high gear in the fourth. Uh, but it seemed like Jordan Mims, you know, for the most part before Ronnie came back, was doing a really good job in the Toledo game. He really went off. 
but then it wasn't quite the same after that. Uh, there was some sort of injury. I don't know exactly what it was, but it seemed like he was not at 100% right about the same time Ronnie came into the picture. And uh, you still had you know, both of those guys, I don't think were quite at 100%, but they were still the two best options. You mix in DeJounte O'Neal, you mix in Josh Hokett, and it's kind of hard to work your way any further past four guys in the running back committee. You thought there was, you know, there were some games where, of course, they didn't have Ronnie early. Mims didn't play a few games. Uh, DeJounte O'Neal didn't travel to the first Boise trip. You thought maybe there would be opportunities for uh, Romello Harris or Savion Johnson to take some reps, and they were ready. And uh, I talked to Coach Christian, the running backs coach, and he was very high on both of them, saying they could step in if needed. But uh, there's just a little bit of a, a comfortability when you've got. You know, already those four guys that have proven themselves, you don't have to worry about any liabilities like run blocking and the little things that go into the position. And they just didn't feel the need to go any far deeper than those first four. Now, and it, it you know, kind of left me kind of thinking what could have or should have happened at some point during the season, maybe getting those guys some reps early on might have helped with the. With, uh, you know, alleviating some of that running back uh, position, but it ended up uh, working itself out uh, uh, one way or another. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, Ronnie Rivers becomes the uh, the MVP of the Las Vegas Bowl. So his name will go up uh, among some of the, the great ones that uh, were have taken place so far uh, at the Las Vegas Bowl. And I believe he came uh, up with the second most rushing yards in the Las Vegas Bowl, if I'm correct, right, Jackson? Yeah, I believe so, and uh, that was impressive. You didn't really realize where he was at, especially until that big touchdown he scored there late, excuse me, in the third quarter, and uh, I mean, yeah, he had a a big day, and that was a game that really neither team passed the ball very well. Marcus McMurray didn't have a ton of yards and had two picks, so I mean... The Bulldogs scored with 31 points, but a good chunk of their production came from Ronnie Rivers, both yardage-wise and points-wise. And and you mentioned uh, Marcus McMarion. How much of the of the running for for Ronnie Rivers con- was basically a necessity because of Marcus McMarion struggling throughout this game? It looked like he was just off. Uh, and for some point, at some point, the the coaches kind of had to get together and say, you know what, if we're going to win this, we're going to need to run it, and that's going to be on the ground because Marcus was struggling at some point. I mean, what do you take from from his performance? Yeah, it was a, an odd game. You you think about big Jared Rice at tight end and Keyshawn Johnson, leading receiver in school history, and little five foot seven Dejounte O'Neal is your leading receiver in that game with forty two <laughs> yards, and I think he had four catches. So that was a, a bizarre when you look at the stat sheet. And then there were some bizarre plays too. Uh, McMarion's first interception was uncharacteristic. I mean, he only threw three picks all season up until that game. The second interception, though, was really bizarre, where he's running around the field, up, down, backwards, left and right, and finally lets one fly, and it gets picked off. And, you know, I looked at McMarion after that throw, and he was laying there on the ground, head in his hands, and you thought, oh, boy, this offense is... They, something's going to have to happen soon with the amount of time that's left on the clock, or they're going to lose... And fortunately, Ronnie was the guy that made that happen. Yeah, it just it looked like uh, the the Bulldogs were starting to let that one slip away at some point during the game. Uh, I mean, both you and I were looking at each other, thinking, "Oh no, they're doing just enough to lose this one <laughs> at some point." Uh, but the, you know, the momentum shifted back uh, again uh, on a couple of strange plays. Uh, one 
you know, while the Bulldogs were on offense, uh, McMarion hits a wide open tight end for a first down who drops the ball. <laughs> and at that point, you're thinking, oh, no, things aren't going to go the Bulldogs way. But then, you know, other possession goes right back to the other side. Uh, and uh, Arizona State almost had the exact same thing happen, although it was more of the receiver catches the ball and then gets tackled by the turf <laughs> and and then turns it over on downs and right back to the Bulldogs, which, which it felt like the momentum went right back to the Bulldogs again. Tell me, what was your thoughts going through your head when you were seeing these plays as well <laughs> unfold right in front of you? Yeah, the first one you mentioned, again, I think that was after the, the three straight turnovers where I think it was David Tongipod dropped a pass and uh, you felt like, oh man, that was their chance to get moving and they blew it. And then on the other side... Um, yeah, the the Arizona State play was bizarre as well because the tight end had so much room to run. It looked like it was going to be an easy first down, and he just strips up on the turf. And you felt like that equalized it, and maybe that gave Fresno State a feeling like, hey, you know, that, those these last four possessions now aren't such a big deal. We can go back right out there and, and take a lead. Yeah, it was it was interesting. That was the moment that things kind of turned around because it gave the Bulldogs back the ball, and I believe. Uh, on the next possession, that's where Ronnie Rivers broke it for a long run uh, to put the D- Bulldogs back up uh, on top of that one. Um, and and then from that point on, it just seemed like the, there was no stopping the Bulldogs. Uh, I believe Arizona State only had three points in the second half. Um, Bulldogs were able to, to turn off some points and, and take that lead and, and take a comfortable lead uh, with about two minutes left in the game. And... Uh, I mean, it was uh, it was fun to watch, but what was more fun than watching that pick six, Jackson? I mean, <laughs> when you saw that one, and every time he cut uh, with that ball, you, you just kind of, your jaw dropped even further every time he would stop and start again, stop and start again. <laughs> uh, go through that, what, what, you, what you saw, and kind of just the mentality of, of what it took for Tank Kelly to get into the end zone. Yeah, well, I mean, from my perspective, <laughs> I was, a, I mean, I, I was taking pictures on the field, and I run towards the Arizona State side as it looks like the Sun Devils are about to score, and I get my camera right in position, <laughs> and all of a sudden, Tank Kelly's running the opposite direction, and so I didn't really get a good shot of that one, but uh, it was funny because I recall so many times this year, I've had my eye on that lens or in the viewfinder, and there's a Bulldog defender or cornerback safety breaking on a ball, and they just come up short. They just drop it. They just miss it. I mean, they've had plenty of interceptions this year, but it feels like they missed a lot of opportunities along the year. And so to see Tank make the jump and actually come up with it in full stride, and he's sprinting all the way downfield, then he makes a cut, he he stops, he does like a Michael Jackson lean, (laughs) runs back the other way. Starts doing the (laughs) moonwalk. I mean, that was awesome. And uh, Tank Kelly is kind of a a unique guy, I think. He's one that I've been interested in as we've talked to him over the years. He, He came here from Texas and you know, he, he'll he tell you it was hard coming from Texas to Fresno and being kind of alone and not getting along with the coaches at the time and self-admittedly maybe having a little attitude or not really understanding how to respond to adversity. And uh, it's just amazing the way that he's come along and how much he's embraced his Fresno State experience. And uh, he's, you know, one of the, the seniors that is going to be really uh, sad that it's over 
Oh, he's going to be missed as well in that in that backfield because he uh, he is he's made a difference this season. Uh, I mean, Absolutely. something something clicked uh, upstairs, and and he just was able to to really help this defense get to where the level that it's at this year. Um, uh, you know, him and Mike Bell. That's another guy who just kind of went to another level this season. Uh, but you know. Rumors are flying. Jackson may lose a couple of those, uh, a couple of those of those defenders along with Tank Kelly, who's graduating. What? How? How big could that be a, a problem for the Bulldogs moving forward if that were to come to fruition? Yeah, um, some bit of good news. It sounds like both uh, Bell and Juju Hughes were on the Bulldog Insider uh, this past weekend and said they weren't going to leave. So as long as they stay true to what, what they said on TV, then that's going to be good news for the Bulldogs. And that basically just boils down to Jeff Allison. Is he going to stay? Is he going to go? I don't think he knows at this point. Uh, he's They're going through the evaluation process, and Coach Tedford's right by his side. Told us a little bit about that at the signing day press conference, what they're kind of going through to figure out whether he should go to the NFL or uh, stay as a Bulldog for another year. And obviously, it would be a huge loss if he goes, but at the same time, you know, he's put in his time here at Fresno State. He's been very successful, and I mean, Mountain West Defensive Player of the Year. Most of those kinds of guys are bound to go to the league. So, um, the biggest issue though for Fresno State is they lose the two linebackers next to him, and if they lose Allison too, then they have to replace that whole three-man unit. Uh, otherwise, as long as everyone else comes back, they just lose Tank Kelly on defense, uh, Pat Bellany at defensive tackle, who started a few games for the Dogs. So. Uh, for the most part, a lot of that defense is coming back. And uh, that's important because this defense has been something special, something Fresno State doesn't normally have. And it might be hard to replicate with a bunch of new players in there. But if you can kind of bridge that gap and fill some spots with the talented guys coming back, they may be able to keep it going. Yeah, the key is to is is to keep that defense going by not losing a whole lot of its players all at once. It's kind of do it in kind of do it in pieces where they can just kind of fill the gap, fill the puzzle pieces as time goes on. And they've got the depth to do that. But they don't have the depth to do that with every single position. <laughs> so that's going to be the problem. It's trying to keep enough of those players around in order for them to kind of keep this this defense in going in the direction that they have going. Um, but, you know, after taking a look at the, at some of the, the comments being made, of course, you know, fans of the Pac-12 uh, are, 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 are mentioning that a lot of their top players for Arizona State didn't play in this game. Uh, and to me, I think that's a lot of woulda, shoulda, coulda kind of a kind of an attitude um, because it, no matter who they play, if, when it's, it's a big opponent like that, typically it, when they lose, the excuses come out. <laughs> Do you think that would have been a, a, a lot different game if, if some of those players were to play? Oh, I'm sure uh, Fresno State would have liked to have Natane Muti and Jordan Mims and some other Bulldogs that didn't exactly, play in that correct, game too. Right? Yeah, so it's all it's a lot of crying <laughs> over spilt milk. I will say, I thought the thing that would affect Arizona State most is that they had their big or their big receiver, uh, Nikhil Harry, that didn't play, and I thought that was going to make them really focus just on running the ball. Um, Arizona State, much like Fresno State, is a team that's pretty balanced. Um, they do have a strong rushing attack, but it's complemented by a passing attack that doesn't turn the ball over too much and moves the ball downfield to complement their first team all pack 12 running back too. 
And I thought, you take that that receiver off the field, they're going to be a lot more one-dimensional, and Fresno State will be able to stop the run easy-peasy. Uh, but the Sun Devils came out. They took some strikes downfield. They spread the field very well horizontally, and they basically had that exact same effect as if Harry would have been on the field, in my mind. And you saw it. Their running back, Eno Benjamin, was just a terror in the first half. He was seemed like the Bulldogs just had no answer. And then it felt like the more and more they went to him, the more that the Bulldogs were able to adjust, forget about that spread passing attack, and just focus in on the run. And uh, then when they had to go back to the pass at the end, it was just not there. And we've seen you know, games even for the Bulldogs like that in the past, like the UNLV upset loss last year where the Bulldogs didn't get the ball a whole lot, and all of a sudden they need to kick it into gear. I mean, Minnesota as well, and it's hard to, to adjust your game plan that late in the game and play the the you know go away from your game plan to do something else it doesn't usually work out in your favor too often in fact one of the comments that i saw out on twitter was uh, from a arizona state fan saying all he wanted for christmas was for somebody to stop ronnie rivers <laughs> so um that didn't happen <laughs> so it led to a lot of the things that uh, went on there during the game and ronnie rivers was the key factor in, in the bulldogs win in this one um you know, for the first time, we actually saw a smile on Tedford's face, right, Jackson? <laughs> I mean, that's one of those rare opportunities that we actually see uh, uh, Coach Tedford smile. Yeah, I've got. It's been two games now. I've got him to, some pictures of him with, with evidence that he's smiling, holding up those trophies. And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and they don't last too long either. You get in the post game press conference, and uh, right back to his old self, and being real, real uh, straightforward. And you know, I tried to get some pictures of him in the post conference, cracking a smile, and it wasn't happening too often. <laughs> <laughs> no matter how hard hard we try as a media to try and get a laugh or a smile out of him, it just doesn't happen. Well, unless we do our job very badly and he's laughing out of a stupid question. <laughs> now, that does happen occasionally, uh, but it's but a lot of times it ends up in frustration in him. Uh, you can tell on his face how much he wants to go and strangle that reporter. Uh, but, you know, he, it was all business for him. Uh, but as a team there, uh, a lot of the members got to take in that Las Vegas atmosphere. I mean, we started off the weekend with uh, um, the rally. And that rally was, I mean, pretty interesting. I mean, we saw a lot of Bulldog fans there compared to Arizona State fans. <laughs> the The fan contingency, the fan home field advantage in this one pretty much was swung in Fresno State's favor, don't you think, Jackson? Yeah. Um, it's been trying to do some estimates on it based on what I could see. I was in the press box. I was on the field, both sides of the field. So I had about as many vantage points as you could get. They claimed there was 37,000 attendants. The stadium sits 40, so I don't quite think it was 37,000, but it was probably somewhere in the low 30s, perhaps. And I think Fresno State had at least, I mean, half of those. I think, I'm not just saying it's 50 50. I think there was several thousand fans that were Las Vegas locals, or there was a lot of charity tickets that were given out. And you could see more so on the Arizona State side. There was, you had your maroon and yellow and black, and then there was a patch of fans in the middle there that were, you couldn't tell what affiliation they were in. So there was Colorado State yeah. fans there. <laughs> I mean, really. <laughs> It didn't make any it didn't make any sense at all unless they thought you know what we're just going to go to a bowl game yeah. since our team didn't make it. <laughs> oh, I would say probably in the range of maybe sixty forty in favor of Fresno State at least fifty five forty five. It was definitely more Fresno State than Arizona State, and especially there in the fourth quarter, it was so cool after the Bulldogs score that touchdown that which appeared to be the dagger 
Ronnie Rivers' second score, and they played the old Bulldog Bounce song, which you know, hasn't been played at Bulldog Stadium in a few years, but used to get people all attempt to get people <laughs> rallied up between the third and fourth quarters, and that whole Fresno State side was jumping and bouncing, and it was a, a fun sight to see. Well, it, it, it from preliminary reports that I've been able to find, uh, they're saying that uh, uh, of the fans that did attend, that about twenty thousand was Fresno State. That's what I've been able to kind of dig up. So I, I think that uh, that might be a fair estimate because that would make the, the majority of the fans Fresno State Bulldog fans, and that was very apparent during this game. Um, and I, I don't think Arizona State fans knew quite what to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> they got a little bit of a taste because I, I can't remember the last time Fresno State met. Arizona State. Do you know off your off top yeah, of your it's head? Been since 1941. Oh, so <laughs> we haven't seen it, and uh, they will play again in 2023 over in Tempe. So um, you know, it doesn't sound like that far in the future. But as one poster on the barkboard pointed out, if Jalen Cropper plays as a freshman, he will have graduated before the Bulldogs go to Arizona <laughs> State. So <laughs> it is a little ways out there. Yeah. So that's going to be an interesting kind of a matchup, and it's probably going to be. Uh, for Arizona State's eyes, uh, a little bit of retribution. They're going to try and, and try to get back against the Fresno State. Uh, but hopefully by then, Tedford has this ball rolling really well here and this this train uh, with a lot of great talent coming in and uh, make things even harder for Arizona State to, to face up against the, the Bulldogs. But that being said, this past Wednesday was early signing day uh, for college football, for early enrollees for uh, for football across the nation. And Fresno State, like all like the, they did last year, was able to come away with majority of their uh, signees uh, this past Wednesday, which makes things a little bit different for Fresno State because now they only have maybe three or four spots left. Uh, and where Coach Tedford and company can take their time and scour through uh, available players and try to pick up some late gems in February. But Jackson, overall, your overall opinion on the class that's coming in, what do you think about them? Yeah, I think probably the biggest thing that you can point to in this class that makes you realize what it is compared to past years, there's only one two-star recruit in this whole class. And if you look back as recent as just last year, the Bulldogs brought in about 10 two-star recruits. And you know, not to, to bash on any of them, a lot of those guys are players that we're very high on. You think of Hunter Riquet, who is probably going to be the Bulldogs' second quarterback in line going into next season. Uh, Ricardo Arias, a wide receiver from Clovis West, who's got really soft hands and is going to be competing for those spots. Sherwin King, who was one of the few true freshmen to crack the two deep this year. Those are all two-star recruits, but typically, just based on the law of averages, you're going to get more of those three-star recruits that pan out compared to the two-star guys. And just about every one of the Bulldog recruits that they signed fits that bill, that they are they're not projects. They're not really diamonds in the rough, so to say. They are projected to be legitimate players in the Mountain West level. Some higher than others, but uh, I mean, really, it's hard to see anyone in here that really busts or is not going to be looking for a spot on the two deep within the next few years. And probably the biggest thing for the immediate future was the fact that the three junior college players they got. Uh, the Bulldogs graduate eight receivers and three tight ends. They bring in two junior college tight ends who were top ten junior college tight ends in the nation. 
along with the junior college receiver, Carrick Wheatfall, who is, uh, I mean, had Boise State, had lots of quality schools he could have gone to. So those three guys should make an impact as soon as next year. And then you also, of course, can't leave out Jalen Cropper, number one recruit in the Central Valley, the kind of guy Fresno State usually does not get. Uh, if you, uh, we broke down the top recruits in the Central Valley and, you know, about the top seven or eight or so outside of Cropper are all going to power five school. So to land not just one of those guys, but the guy on the top of the list, keep Jalen home, a receiver position that is going to be of great need next season. I mean, top to bottom, this is an impressive class. And I think you see the step forward that this coaching staff took with the results on the field and how it panned out and the type of recruits they were able to land. Now let's let's try and break down some of those players. I mean, obviously, we're going to start off with the with the the top player of, I, well, I consider the top player of the whole group, and that's going to be Jalen Cropper, uh, and a tremendous talent. Uh, originally out of Sanger High, uh, transferred over to Buchanan. Um, he's a different type of player. He's an electrifying type of player. One of those that you want to get the ball in his hands because he can do just about anything with it. Um, so Jackson break down that, that whole get that the Bulldogs were able to pick up with uh, Jalen Cropper, not only on the field, but also off the field. Yeah. Uh, that's huge in both factors because off the field, this is the type of thing that can snowball and the more recruits and it almost did it. It almost did. And it did <laughs> with this year's class. I think Josh Kelly, who's also a receiver in the Bulldogs class this year, maybe he doesn't come here if Cropper doesn't sign. I think that woke people up. It got Leonard Glass really uh, interested in Fresno State, another San Joaquin Memorial prospect who is going to go to Iowa State, but was nearly very closely flipped by Fresno State after that Cropper decision. And for Cropper, I mean, he was all predicted to go to Utah. He had Cal, he had Oregon, he had Boise State, all these big, Nebraska, Louisville got in the picture. He had a lot of top options, and Fresno State has not been able to keep those recruits at home, typically. So to get him to stay, I mean, is huge. He's, uh, I mean, not just in the Valley, but uh, relatively, but just with his ability overall, he's going to be one of the better athletes on this whole team. And he is going to be a freshman next year, but you figure that he's going to stand a really good shot at seeing some playing time, especially when you consider him at receiver where the Bulldogs lose a lot. Now that in turn, like you mentioned, what the Bulldogs were able to kind of pick up uh, another player here in the Valley from San Joaquin Memorial, Josh Kelly. And, just like Cropper, he's another electrifying type of a player, uh, a, a bigger build probably than Cropper, um, but just maybe not as athletic, but you know, incredible hands. What what else can you say about him? Yeah, uh, Kelly is he was impressive. I know he's played both ways this year, but I was didn't realize how effective he's been on the defensive side of the ball. He finished the year with over a thousand receiving yards and ten interceptions. When you look at the other side of the ball, and he was doing returns, so. And he did it all for San Joaquin Memorial, a team that sent four players to Division One in their senior class, and a lot of juniors, and even the few underclassmen that are going to be going to play D1 football. So to stand out amongst that group is impressive. And I think, you know, I don't think he's all that far off from Cropper. Cropper is definitely the better prospect, and it's well deserved. But uh, I've seen the two of them work out together, and I don't think the gap is that wide. Um, I've seen the thing about Kelly was that he played at Bullard the past three years in a team that didn't pass the ball a whole lot and wasn't quite of the uh, caliber of a San Joaquin Memorial. 
So this year he finally got his chance to shine. And if had he been there for the last two or three years, you're probably looking at another Power Five recruit there. Yeah, it, he was uh, definitely starting to climb the ranks. Had he uh, been able to to play a little bit longer, he probably would have been up at that caliber type of a player. Uh, another one, a big land for Fresno State, uh, especially coming out of the junior college ranks, uh, was uh, Carrick Wheatfall. Another one that many projected was going to land at Boise State and instead ended up going to Fresno State. What does this mean for not only for, for Fresno State, but also sends a message to Boise that they're not the top dog? Yeah, this one was one of the surprises in the sense that just not even a week earlier, he listed a top five of schools where he hadn't visited all of them and it looked like he was going to wait to January to visit some of them, included Colorado State, Utah State, uh, Texas San Antonio, and... You thought, well, Fresno State is going to have to wait, and they may not get him. And suddenly he just kind of abruptly commits to Fresno State. Uh, he had visited back-to-back weeks, Boise State and Fresno State. He was in Boise for the Mountain West Championship, so we saw that firsthand. And he's actually one of three recruits in the – well, actually one of four recruits in this class that visited Boise State uh, that are all going to be Bulldogs and – in some cases, you know, the Boise State fans are going to have a good argument that they may have ended up signing a player that they thought was better and was no longer going for some of those players. But um, it is a it's something Fresno State can point to in this class, and uh, Wheatfall is one of those guys that looked like he could have gone either way. Now, yeah, Wheatfall is going to definitely going to be adding depth at a, the wide receiver position that uh, is losing eight ta- uh, eight wide receivers this year, right, Jackson? So eight players are leaving the team, so they had to come and find some instant, uh, you know, instant backup or depth at that position uh, with some experience. So that's why uh, Wheatfall came into the picture. But they were also able to pick up uh, another wide receiver, Jamal Gillespie, um, out of uh, Culver City, uh, California. This is another player that is rated high um, on 247 Sports as a three-star wide receiver. So they keep adding good depth. What, What more do you know about Gillespie? Yeah, Glassby was the first of this receiver group to sign or to commit, excuse me, way back in July, August. And at the time, it seemed like a really good get. And now he's going to be probably overshadowed by the other three signees as in terms of, you know, you've got two local guys and a junior college guy. So Glassby kind of gets lost in the shuffle. But as far as rankings go, he's the second player in that group as far as the, the 24-7 sports composite goes. Uh, Glassby is also a, a talented player. He could technically go either way, but receiver is where he shines most. He was at a Culver City team that was a, a lower division, uh, southern division in California school in Culver City, but they put up some ridiculous video game type numbers and went all the way to the one of the lower division state or section championship games. So um He's used to being in high-powered offenses, and he's one of the reasons why they were. Whether it was special teams or receiving the ball, uh, he was a deep threat at any time. Yeah, so and that rounds up all wide receivers that that Fresno State was able to get signed this uh, this past week. Let's move on to the tight ends. This is another another position where the Bulldogs are going to lose some depth, uh, so they're looking for some instant depth uh, with players with experience and they were able to do that by picking up a, a player by the name of Juan Rodriguez uh, out of Butte College another three-star um, rated player and what does this mean by bringing in that talent that already has some experience 
Yeah, Rodriguez is a really interesting prospect, and I think he's one that Fresno State fans will connect to and probably see him produce quicker rather than later. Uh, Rodriguez comes from a small town kind of in between California and Nevada. Um, he was not recruited basically because of where he was from. He was only given a preferred walk-on offer at a high school where uh, to Nevada, Reno, which they, the family could not afford. So he tried to go the junior college route, and it paid off. He's listed as 24-7 sports, number five tight end, junior college tight end in the nation. And uh, he's a guy that should come on the field right away, both him and the other tight end commit, uh, Raymond Powells. Uh, he's from Arizona. Uh, those two give instant depth, and they're both top 10 junior college tight ends that should be ready to get on the field as soon as they get here. The Bulldogs lose three senior tight ends. But they do bring back Jared Rice and Cam Sutton, two big bodies at tight end who are proven receiving targets. But again, you're going to lose those guys after next year. They're both going to be seniors. So not only do you need depth for 2019, but you need guys that can step in in 2020. And Rodriguez and Powell's are both the guys to do that. Yeah, and and so you you already covered uh, Powell's, uh, but Powell's wasn't he one that also was in a battle with Boise State at some point? How did and again another one that the Bulldogs are able to pick up, but one could argue for Boise State they got the guy that they wanted anyways, right? Yeah, so at least when you look at the twenty four seven sports rankings, they brought in Powell's for a visit on December first, and about. Not even a week later, the number one tight end in the junior college tight end in the country committed to Boise State. Some will argue they like Powell's better. I've heard that, but um, you know, I don't think the Broncos are going to be too heartbroken uh, the way that it played out. It sounds like they got one of their top targets still, and that happened. And then Powell's came to visit Fresno State, and he committed to be a Bulldog. So, you know, if Boise State doesn't get that other tight end, maybe the Bulldogs don't get Powell, and in that sense, the Bulldogs got stronger. Yeah, and so that makes things uh, uh, makes things a little bit interesting because you know, in one fashion, you know, the Bulldog fans, you know, feel that they won one against Boise State, a couple of them at least this season. So maybe maybe that'll uh, help the recruiting moving forward. But that that covers the tight ends. Now we're going to go to another position, the linebacker position, where the Bulldogs were able to pick up uh, uh, about three players, starting off with Devonta. Devonta Bridges uh, out of Wilmar Anima Carter High School in Rialto, California. Now, he's he's listed as an athlete, but the Bulldogs recruited him as a linebacker. What more can you say about him? Another three-star player. Yeah, I interviewed Bridges over the summer. Um, he was one that was being offered by both Fresno State and San Jose State very early in the project uh, process, so he was a priority interview for me. And talking to Bridges, uh, at that time, he was truly an athlete. He was playing receiver. He was playing defensive back. He was playing linebacker. He was doing it all. And since then, for a senior year, he basically focused in on linebacker. Bulked up a little bit. I mean, six foot three, 220 is what we've got him at 24-7. It might be a, a little higher than he actually is. <laughs> but, um, I mean, he focused on linebacker, and you could tell he was just a recruit that needed to you know, hone in on one spot to figure out what he was all about to see where he fit in at the next level. And I mean, linebacker was a perfect fit and he's got that athleticism. So you look at him and you think a lot of James Bailey, who is finishing up his four year Bulldog career with the Vegas Bowl, a linebacker that had a safety background who could drop back into coverage when needed, but could do all the things that a linebacker could do still. 
Yeah, so that he should be one that that will fit in quite nicely for the for the Bulldogs. Um, another one of the linebackers coming in listed as an inside linebacker. That's Kyvin Carroll uh, out of Benton uh, High School, out of Benton, Arizona. Now, this one I think was kind of a surprise to to some of us, uh, at least to me. I didn't know that they were recruiting in Arizona or even had this one going on. What more can you say about him? Another three star recruit. Yeah, so Kyvin Carroll is an Arkansas recruit. And he was picked out. Yeah, he was picked I out. I said Arizona. I don't. I, I get my my abbreviations yeah. wrong sometimes. You know, there's a pretty funny comedy routine if you ever seen it about the people who abbreviated the states and they start. Oh, Alaska, easy. A L. All right, now what's Alabama? <laughs> and then they. Oh, Arizona, Arkansas. Oh, geez, this is harder than we thought. <laughs> but uh, as far as Carol goes. Um, he was a three-star linebacker. The Bulldogs were on him early. And while it seems odd, Fresno State would recruit in Arkansas, and even Coach Sedford said, you know, hey, admittedly, we're not beating around the bushes in Arkansas looking for players. This was a case where the new linebackers coach at Fresno State, um, Kenwick Thompson, had a relationship with Carroll's coach. Uh, Thompson came to Fresno State from Eastern Carolina, so a little bit closer to Arkansas than Fresno. And uh, developed a relationship with him, brought him out on a visit. Carol loved it and committed to Fresno State pretty early in the process. And you think about a five foot eleven, two twenty something pounder from the South, and you think a little bit about Jeff Allison. So those are big shoes to fill. But Carol may bring some of the similar attributes there. Yeah, I, I mean, he he. Um, to me, it was a surprise that he he, you know, stuck stuck with his commitment. I mean, I I didn't know he was going to move forward but eventually i guess you weren't surprised on it but i I, would have been interesting if arkansas would have gotten in the picture because (laughs) i mean the razorbacks usually have their pick of the top guys in arkansas and he carol was just one that didn't quite make their offer list but he's up there he's one of the better prospects of the state yeah, but I mean, I was a little surprised, but hey, it still worked out for the Bulldogs. Moving forward, the other linebacker that's on the list, of course, listed on 247s as an athlete player as well, that's Lavelle Bailey uh, out of Luther Burbank, out of Sacramento, California. And again, another street, three-star recruit. And I think this one is, a, is a, a huge get for the Bulldogs, right, Jackson? Yeah, I love Bailey's game. Um the thing I like about Bailey is he's not just a linebacker. He's, I mean, he played quarterback for their school. He's a high-level basketball talent. He's on the same AAU team as Jalen Green, who most people in Fresno know is the five-star number one recruit in this class of 2020. Um, that same AAU team features a Bulldog commit, Anthony Holland, as well as a recruit that they went, I mean, for basketball, and a recruit that they went after really hard, Kashad Johnson, who is going to be a, a San Diego State player. Um, so, I mean, that's, if you're on that team, you've got to be really good at basketball. There's no doubt about it. And if Bailey stuck with basketball, he would probably be headed to a D1 school. If he stuck with quarterback, I mean, it wouldn't be at a Fresno State level, but he probably could play somewhere at quarterback. I mean, just has all the tools as an athlete. And those are the kind of guys where you finally find the position that fits them best. And they usually take off and excel because they're not being a jack of all trades. They're finally focused in on one thing and really perfecting it. Yeah. Kind of reminds me of Philip Thomas who went through a same similar kind of deal. He was doing it all and the Bulldogs stuck him at safety. And he was of course an all American. I don't know if Bailey will quite live up to that, but it looks like right now he's going to be a similar role to Aaron Mosby. Who's that big athletic tall 
linebacker, which is kind of rare. Um, but the Bulldogs have found a fit for that kind of athlete in their defense, and Bailey looks like the next one to do it. Yeah, so that one, that one, I think is going to be a huge fit for him if they can if they can pull out the talent that that they think he may have. Uh, he could be a, another special player, kind of a a mold of of um, you know the player right now that's getting ready to leave. Um, who they hope doesn't leave, <laughs> Allison. Um, and if if Allison sticks another year and, and allows Bailey to kind of get a little bit of tutelage under him, it could be something big for the Bulldogs. Um, but moving on, the that wraps up the linebacker position. So we're going to start moving into the position where the Bulldogs kind of need a little bit of more help because of a lot of players leaving. That's the defensive back position. And we'll start off with Devin Jarvis out of Bishop Amat, uh, out of La Puente, California High School, or La Puente, California. Um, and it's another three-star recruit, another one of those that were in a, a big battle with Boise State to to try and get that player. And Fresno State ultimately came away with him. And what do you got to say about him, Jackson? Yeah, Jarvis was one of those that re- that committed very early in the process to Fresno State, but here comes Boise around November, and all of a sudden he's saying, well, maybe I should give them a shot. He visits them, he kind of pulls back on his commitment to the Bulldogs, and it looks like he could go either way with Fresno State or Boise State. Fortunately for the Bulldogs, they hang on to him. He's the second best rated recruit in the class, according to the 24-7 composite rankings. Um, I like him a lot. I think... He's one of the more Division One ready players in this class when you look at the high schoolers. And the secondary for Fresno State, they won't need many guys to step in next year, but 2020 is going to be a year. They really need to have players ready because you're going to lose Mike Bell, Juju Hughes, and Jaron Bryant, three of your four starters who are juniors right now and will be seniors next year. And while that's great for 2019, it leaves a lot of question marks for 2020, and you need some players ready. We know Waylon Free and Chris Gaston are are two of those types of players, but there's not a whole lot of other faces that we're sure about outside of that group. And guys like Devin Jarvis may be able to step in in two years and fit those kinds of roles. Yeah, so that that's definitely going to be one to kind of keep an eye on. Uh, Devin is probably one of the few that will probably – be able to, you know, wrangle away some playing time maybe next season just to try and start getting him ready for the 2020 season. Although that's where that that four-game redshirt rule might come into effect with that type of a caliber player, right, Jackson? Yeah, and we saw some signs of it this year. They played some of their freshmen a time or two. Um, Usually, the big one was Sherwin King. He broke the two deep. And they played him the first couple of games and said, wait a minute, you know, he's not going to play a whole lot. He's one of our better options, but we might as well keep him on the bench and, you know, find maybe a game or two to let him get some experience and otherwise save that year. And then you had some other players that weren't quite to King's level, but they found a game or two to get them playing time or bring him on the travel team and that kind of thing. And I think that's what you'll see from players like Jarvis, perhaps, that, Uh, I mean, you're not going to take Juju Hughes or Mike Bell off the field very often, but there may be some times for him to get experience. Now, uh, moving forward, another player that came in and I I believe um, had uh, committed early, and that's Reggie Strong. Uh, Reggie Strong Jr. out of Orange Lutheran uh, High out of Orange, California. Uh, another three-star rated um, player, but Jackson, this guy, this guy committed and bought in early on in the season. Uh, what do you, you know, what are your thoughts on him? Yeah, um, Strong's probably one that's one of the lesser known players in this class to the fan base. Um, 
he was one Fresno State was on early, and they got him to pull the trigger around November. Um, he's got some Fresno State connections. Just looking at where he's from, he was recruited by both J.D. Williams and Jamie Christian as a two-way athlete, but he's going to be a safety for the Bulldogs. Um, he's coached by a former Fresno State receiver, Kevin Morton, and so there's a little bit of Bulldog connection there. And one of the higher-rated recruits in this class, so we're still working on maybe getting more interviews with Strong to find out more what he's about, but uh, on paper, a really good ad for this class, and you look at him and Jarvis, and you may have your two bulldog safeties of the future right there. Yeah, and and could be a, a very a, a couple of key players for for the bulldogs moving forward in the, here in the, in the next few years. Uh, but moving on to the next player is Miles Martin. Now this one this one is a little bit of an enigma, uh, Jackson. He uh, he's out of Vista Murrieta. I can't even pronounce that <laughs> Murrieta, uh, California, um, and he is rated as a three star recruit. Although the only two schools to recruit him are Fresno State and Weber State. You think this one uh, kind of flew under the radar for some of those teams? Yeah, um, uh, he was w- part of that group that committed real early to Fresno State, and sometimes that'll be played a part of it when they commit in July or August. Some of those other schools that may have offered him in the following months don't bother, <laughs> or they look at the next guy that maybe is equally on their board but has not committed and is going to be a better shot. So Martin uh, was one Fresno State targeted early. They got him and were able to hold on to him. And uh, another you know, Vista Marietta is a good school as far as football goes. He had a good year and uh, comes into Fresno State with that background of winning and tradition that the Bulldogs are establishing. Yeah, and so I don't know. That could be one of those that uh, uh, plays a huge role. Is that uh, you know he he's relatively an unknown player because no one else was on him and could potentially be a, a great find for the Bulldogs. You know, Fresno State is known for doing that occasionally, is finding those players that no one else otherwise would have recruited, and they end up becoming superstars. Uh, but we'll see what happens uh, throughout the next couple of years on how he develops. Another player uh, out of uh, my alma mater uh, in uh, in Tulare, out of Tulare Union, California, uh, Tulare Union out of Tulare, California, is Randy Jordan Jr. Um, only rated as a two-star player, but he is probably one of the fastest coming out of this <laughs> class. Right, Jackson? Yeah. Uh, he's an athlete that has been overshadowed at Slayer Union when you've got Casimir Allen and Amoria Edwards and now Nathan Lamb. I mean, a lot of high-profile recruits. Sometimes you don't get the kind of publicity you probably deserve. And Fresno State was all over him. A couple other schools were as well, but the Bulldogs were able to get into his ear early on and um, get him to commit to Fresno State over the summer. Uh, Jordan has done kick returns. He's a key cornerback. He receives for that Tulare Union team. That was one of the best in the Valley and um, probably undervalued by the 24-7 rankings. Uh, Of course, the only two-star in the class, but he's right up on the edge of being a three-star recruit. And I think given a second look, he would probably be considered better than what he's at. Now that that's probably something you're going to ask uh, for some of our our head guys to kind of do a re reeval probably right Jackson. Yeah, I mean most of the people that I've talked to that's watched his film or watched him play in person say man this he is an athlete and you know I don't want to make this comparison because his bulldog career wasn't all that great but um you know Curtis Riley 
was a player that Coach Deruder recruited that you just thought, man, wherever this guy gets on the field, he's going to be a beast. And, you know, he, he started at cornerback quite a bit for the Bulldogs and wasn't the greatest, but he's starting for the New York Giants now. So he tell, tells you if you got the right coaches, you can really do something with that kind of talent. And, uh, I mean, Jordan, again, guy that can do it all. They put him at cornerback and let J.D. Williams mold him for a couple of years. You could have something really special there. Yeah, and so and his, his dad was a, I mean, an elite athlete as well. Played at Kansas State, was a, a top track speed kind of guy. So, uh, no surprise that Jordan can do the same. Yeah, so that's gonna be that's gonna be a good one to kind of kind of keep an eye on just to see his development because he could ultimately turn into something really special uh, given the right coaching uh, staff to kind of mold his uh, mold his playing uh, abilities. But that that wraps up all the players who, who actually signed uh, and made it official. But yet, there's still two other commits that you saw them signing something, but really didn't mean <laughs> much, right, Jackson? Um, and let's start off with one that the Bulldogs were really high on, and always and and mentioned to you and me that ha- if they were able to land him, they were going to shut down their their recruiting on running backs, and that that's uh, Peyton Dixon. Out of uh, Bishop Minogue High School in Reno, Nevada, a high-profile player in Nevada. Everybody in Nevada wanted him, um, but he he wasn't really picking up those high, uh, you know, those other Power Five universities giving him offers. But ultimately, went 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 with Fresno State. The special type of running back, you think, Jackson? Yeah, I'd say the numbers show it. I mean, he put over 3,000 yards as a senior, almost 50 touchdowns. I mean, that's ridiculous. And it reminds you of the way Casimir Allen, you know, not quite Casimir Allen's numbers, but, I mean, that kind of type of player. Um, flashes of Ronnie Rivers. Uh, and by that, I mean a guy that was doing everything statistically to be a Power 5 recruit but not getting those offers. In Rivers' case, it was height was a question mark. For Dixon, maybe he's, you know, being in Reno. You know, that's not a place that's recruited quite like most places in California. So for whatever reason, Dixon didn't quite get those top offers, but uh, Fresno State was on him from the start. Uh, he was looking at Nevada, UNLV, Wyoming, uh, UC Davis, Montana, had a lot of options, but uh, Fresno State was able to win out. And uh, he may have to wait his turn a little bit, the way that Ronnie Rivers is playing right now, but... I mean, Dixon seems like a guy where you could find a role for him in the offense pretty quickly, and by the time his name's going to be called on to be the guy, he will be ready. Yeah, that's definitely one that uh, they'll probably sprinkle in some playing time for him here and there, and Mm -hmm. he could ultimately become the hot hand um, type of player, uh, which is something Fresno State Let's face it. Fresno State likes going with the hot hand. Whenever they they, <laughs> they show themselves, they'll continue to stay with that player. He's that type of player that, given the opportunity, could turn out to be the hot player of the game where they'll keep feeding him uh, throughout the game. Um, but another player uh, who also uh, committed to Fresno State but didn't really sign his letter of intent yet Colby Workington out of, uh, I believe he's out of Bakersfield, correct, Jackson? Out of Centennial? Yeah, out of Centennial High School. And he's a player I had the privilege of watching firsthand earlier this year. And, uh, you know, he's definitely a presence on that team. They, they don't have a whole lot of other Division One talent like him. Uh, he was the leader. He played a little bit at tight end, blocked on special teams and that kind of thing. But 
Uh, he was a defensive end that basically other schools had to double team and focus in on and make sure that he wasn't putting up big numbers. So if you see his stats and you're not all that impressed, I can tell you that's why I watched it firsthand. <laughs> they, they dedicated two guys to him and basically said, whoever else wants to beat us, go ahead, but it's not going to be that guy. Uh, and he's still a force. He's a big old six foot five athlete. Uh, I mean, a, an impressive looking guy. And, uh, for Fresno State, a good get, one that had a couple offers, but was getting some looks by even UCLA and some of these schools that are coming a little later to the party. But for Fresno State, they get his commitment and they get Dixon. Basically, those two guys, it appears, are going to come under the blue shirt rule, which I'm not going to go get all into it. It's really complicated, <laughs> but long story short, Fresno State was in a rough position with scholarships from the Deruder era, and they had to find ways to twist the numbers. And one way is to do that is by blue shirts where the recruit does not sign officially, and that scholarship ends up counting towards the following year's class. So this thing kind of keeps rolling over year after year from the first year that they had to do a whole lot of those kinds of uh, recruiting actions. And it is getting better, by the way. Yeah, so the Bulldogs aren't <laughs> needing to do that quite as often anymore. But to have the ability to do the blue shirt is a great opportunity for, for mid-major schools as, uh, as, as well because it allows them to bring in more talent although they're going to take a hit next year uh, to to make sure they, they get those numbers corrected. Now, Fresno State, I, I know I think last year um, uh, Tedford had to really blue shirt quite a few players just to make up the gap, uh, and you know they took a hit in this year's class because ultimately they could have got over 20-plus recruits to come in but are only limited to the ones that they were able to pick up now. But this still leaves them open with like three or four different spots, Jackson. Uh, where, where are we at with the numbers on that? Yeah, Tedford said there's three to four spots they can sign. You could see more players like Dixon and Workington that come in in other ways. But uh, yeah, so probably looking at maybe seven or eight more recruits that end up being brought in by the time they get to fall camp. But only three or four will probably sign that dotted line in February. So this could still get a little interesting because we still got three or four spots left for the February signing. So this will give the Bulldogs a chance to kind of reevaluate some of those players who didn't sign their letter of intent early in December um, and make a run at some of those uh, high-end players that otherwise wouldn't have a home because, you know, other larger profile schools ended up filling all of their spots. Right, Jackson? I mean, that's kind of how the numbers game is going to work now. Yeah. Um, you know, Fresno State really focused in on that early signing period last year and it worked for them. I saw some other schools like San Jose State who slow played it and they've landed, you know, their better commits in the class came in February. Some of those guys that had lots of options that dried up and needed a home and or some players that just weren't as proactive in the recruiting process to make a decision by December. So for the Bulldogs to have some flexibility, I think they may find that it works out to land a couple key players and maybe they'll save some of those spots in the future. Yeah. So that, that's going to be something that uh, is going to, we're going to have to wait and see how that plays out, but we'll have that coverage once it uh, comes back again in February, uh, just to keep you up to date. But before we head off, we're going to switch gears now and we're going to hit a little bit about basketball and Jackson, you were able to go to that last home game Fresno state had against Cal here at Bulldog uh, at the save Mart center. And, Another win for the Bulldogs, and it looks like this year's team uh, is is a team that people are having fun watching. Uh, break down what you've been able to see so far this season and how the Bulldogs are doing so far. 
Yeah, I, I mean, 22-point win over Cal, that's not something that happens every day. <laughs> uh, you know, Cal is not the greatest of the Pac-12 this year, but, I mean, they're, they have athletes, and they've recruited well. They've recruited just as well as Fresno State's roster is. I think if Coach Hudson had those players at the beginning of the year, they probably would have beaten Fresno State, in my opinion. But I think that's just a testament to Coach Hudson and what he's doing. They lose Deshaun Taylor to a, an elbow injury, and they don't skip a beat. 92 points the last game against Long Beach State 95 now the most recently against Cal I mean it's impressive they're they play very tough defense and they're still able to score a lot of points on offense and I mean if you can do both you've got a shot uh, the Bulldogs have some shooters they've got Braxton Huggins who's good for you know, 15 20 points every night Noah Blackwell has really excelled after Taylor's injury Nate Grimes, eligible at center, is doing a heck of a job, both scoring and rebounding the ball. Sam, I mean, just they only have nine players, but they're getting the most that they possibly can out of that group. And uh, it makes you feel really good about where this team stands going into Mountain West play. Outside of Nevada, there's not really a team that scares you if you're Fresno State. Yeah, so this is going to be one of those this year that uh – uh, might be a, a one f- t- to keep an eye on is this bulldog team because uh, I believe uh, you know they've got a really good record um, and could end up you know making a run at the at the the tournament this year. You think Jackson that that's a, a possibility right now? If they keep rolling the way they are, potentially. I mean, I, I don't know if they're going to have the resume at the end of the year, but. The impressive thing is this team hasn't had a, a slip up anywhere. Um, you know the schedule hasn't been the most difficult, but they've played several competent teams. Teams that, you know, not to slight Coach Terry, but it seemed like they would lose one or two of those games somewhere along the road. And especially when you think about a first year head coach, a lot of players that haven't played together very much. A lot of this group is you know transfers that had to sit out last year, or you know those kinds of players that are playing a lot of minutes for the Bulldogs. Um, but, I mean, 8-2, and two, if they take care of business, the rest of non-conference, they'll be 10-2. and two. You know, If they have a good enough conference showing, they could have you know, a legitimate call for the, the tournament. Um, but we'll see where the Mountain West stacks up. It's, it's been a little bit of a struggle. Again, outside of Nevada, uh, there's no surefire NCAA tournament teams right now. So I'm guessing that the 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 one way that we're going to be able to gauge where the Bulldogs at is when they when they actually do face Nevada. Right now, currently ranked the number six team in the nation, um, where Fresno State is going to is going to face them uh, on January 12th. Now, is that a home game or is that an away game? I can't. Yeah, that should be the home game against Nevada. Yeah, that's going to be here at. Uh, Bulldogs, I want to say Bulldogs Stadium. It's not. It's the Save Mart Center where the Bulldogs will face uh, Nevada. So that one on January 12th is going to kind of gauge where the Bulldogs are as far as uh, a team this year. I mean, they're eight and two. Nevada's eleven and zero. So and ranked number six in the nation. So that's really going to be a gauge where we can kind of figure out where the Bulldogs stand uh, against a caliber team like Nevada. Now, if the Bulldogs are able to come away with a win against Nevada. How confident are you going to feel then? <laughs> well, that's a win they can put on their tournament resume. And if they can do that, I mean, looking at the conference right now, Nevada, of course, leads the pack. Uh, Utah State is 9-3. and three. They should have beaten the top 25 Houston team last night or Wednesday, uh, but they kind of blew that one. Uh, 
And then you've got San Diego State, UNLV, New Mexico, your typical powerhouses that are sitting around 500, and a lot of teams well under 500 as well. Uh, so if they Bulldogs can truly stack up against a team like Nevada, they could really have a, a strong conference showing, come out of the season with a really good record. Uh, right now, Northwestern, definitely their best win of the season. Uh, just demolished Northwestern 78-59, and that's a team um, – they went toe to toe with the number two team in the country and just lost by two points not that long ago. Um, so, if you say Fresno State hasn't played anyone, I will point to Northwestern and say that was a really good win by a lot of points that no one else has been able to put that kind of showing against that team. Yeah, so this uh, this is going to be an interesting season for Fresno State and uh, basketball team. And just stay tuned to the podcast because we're going to continue to now start switching gears. We're not going to totally abandon football, but we're predominantly going to be covering basketball moving forward from this point on. Um, But um, as things news starts to break with football, we'll try and sprinkle in some of that uh, recruiting wise. But we're we're pretty much getting into our dead period right now, right, Jackson? When in regards to football. Yeah, we will find ways definitely to cover the team and um, kind of prognosticate what's to come in 2019. <laughs> I love uh, that word. Spring football will be here before you know it. So we've got some some things to look at here with recruiting all the way into February uh, with some analysis of what next year's team will look like, which is going to be really fun because this past year there weren't a lot of position battles. You knew what the team was going to be. This year there's going to be a lot of battles, namely the quarterback position. And it should be a lot of fun to see how it pans out and keep people covered. Now, that's the one position I was going to say. That's the one position where going into spring, it's Jorge Reyna's job for now. But there is a close uh, second right behind him. Uh, And that one, uh, only time is going to tell how that one's going to pan out because theoretically, he could end up, uh, Riquet could uh, in theoretically could end up jumping Jorge if he has a good camp, right, Jackson? Yeah, he should be the main competition for Reyna. Um, I really like Jorge Reyna. I think had Marcus McMarion not transferred here, I think Reyna would have done a very good job. I don't know if it would have been as special as it's been the last two years, but Reyna's not that far behind McMarion. I think there's some things he does better than McMarion, um, but there are some things Marcus, of course, does better than Jorge. That's why he started, and that's why he was the guy for the last two years and had an incredible run. But uh, I think if something would have happened where Reyna would have had to step in, I don't think the Bulldogs would have skipped too much of a beat. At the same time, you've got Riquet, who's got the strongest arm in the room and has, comes from a option background, so he's got the wheels to run as well and brings you a lot of different looks too. Now, stay tuned for that as the season starts to kind of uh, wind down for everyone else. It kind of starts to wind up for Jackson and I, (laughs) uh, as now we have to switch gears and kind of start doing our homework on the future prospects. Right, Jackson? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So now we have to start coming up with a list of players for 2020 uh, commitments. There's, There's some great talent out there, especially here in the Valley. One, namely, Kendall Milton. We'll have to keep an eye on on that (laughs) recruitment uh, if the Bulldogs are able to kind of get that one going. But there's been some other stories kind of broke on on things that kind of might change that that whole outlook on on Milton. But other than that, uh, 
You can find Jackson on Twitter at JacksonMoore247. You can find me on Twitter at RedWaveReport. Find us at BarkBoard.com. Just look for our names. Uh, Leave us a message there. Find us all over the boards. Or, and also, if you haven't done so already, go over to our Facebook page, the uh, barkboard.com, and give us a like there as we continue to try and add as many uh, followers as possible. Uh, that being said, I want to thank everyone for joining us and tune back again next time as we continue the ongoing coverage of Fresno State Athletics. 